So the streets are bad. Third world country coming straight from the mouth of our governor. It was unbelievable when he said that. Like he doesn't have the power to do something about it. So let's say essentially you win this thing. How would you fix it? And how long would it take you to fix it? So the fix, you could start immediately, clearly. And what you would want to do is... Episode 69, I bring in Attorney General California hopeful, Mr. Nathan Hockman. He's got an amazing resume. He's a great guy, a family guy, one who's worked under George W. Bush. We talk about all of that, but most importantly, what he can do to the streets of California, especially Los Angeles, what he can do to the district attorneys all over our state, how he would clean this thing up, and really importantly, He's running as a Republican, so we know in the state of California how difficult that would be to win as a Republican. I ask him that because it's important. It's a, a population that's grossly populated by Democrats. And so when they see that little R, they just won't vote for you. And so he, he's got a good answer, and he's got some support from the other side as well. So, uh, But he's most likely going to be one of four attorney generals who will be running this coming November. He's a bright guy. He's a great guy. Great episode. Episode 69, Nathan Hockman. Here we go. First off, thank you for uh, making some time here. I know you're busy. This is a big deal for you, you and your family. So I appreciate you doing this. But most importantly, what made you put your name in the hat here to, to run for Attorney General of California? So I have, I've had the chance to work in criminal justice for over 30 years now um, as a prosecutor, I ran the uh, U.S. Department of Justice's tax division. I've been a defense lawyer, a victim's rights advocate, even the president of the LA City Ethics Commission. And I've watched the problems of California just get increasingly severe and serious uh, over the years. Yeah, you probably know that 2014 was one of the safest years in the last 50 years uh, in the sense that the crime was at a low ebb. And since 2014, we've gone in the complete opposite direction. So in looking at, at what was going on and seeing what was affecting just not my own life, but all of Californians' life, my wife actually said, you know, because I was complaining about it for years, she said, stop complaining and go do something about it. Uh, and this effort to become California's attorney general is my response to my wife and my response to Californians that I want to see what I can do to make a difference and bring back safety and security in a way that uh, it is slowly disintegrating in our society. Nathan, I wasn't aware of 2014 being one of the safest years of our state. Why do you think that was? I think probably two things account for it. You had you know, a, a series of laws that have been passed in which people understood that there were consequences for their crimes. And you had prosecutors sort of statewide that were willing to enforce those laws. So that, for instance, you know, when you have prosecutors have blanket policies, which is what we have in the last two years, particularly in LA and in San Francisco, as well as the California Attorney General, uh, where they say up front, look, we are not going to prosecute you if you, st if you steal less than $950. And as far as I'm concerned, they put in an open for stealing sign on the uh, front of CVS's, Walgreens, small businesses, restaurants, it basically says to criminals, go in, 
take less than $950, and you literally don't have to run out. You can walk out because we are not going to prosecute you. So I think that that has been the turning point. You've had laws that have weakened the consequences to criminals for certain actions, coupled with prosecutors who don't want to do their jobs. And the people who are most paying attention to this are the actual criminals. And they see opportunity and, and they're not stupid and they're taking advantage of the opportunities that these prosecutors have presented them. That was Prop 47, right? That's correct. And Prop 47 was one of the most misnamed propositions uh, in, in probably recent history. And by the way, the California Attorney General is in charge of the ballot title and summary of every proposition. And you might recall that that proposition, rather than saying that we're going to change the limits for misdemeanors and felonies you know, on property crimes or change the drug provisions, was called the Safe Neighborhoods and Schools Act. And who wouldn't want to vote for a safe neighborhood and a school? And in reality, if they called it the we're going to have increased property crime act, I don't think pretty much anyone would have voted for it. Usually on these ballots, no means yes, yes means no. They try to trick the people when they're when they're voting. Well, again, if the California attorney general is doing his or her job correctly, that's what they're supposed to prevent. They're supposed to make sure that the wording on the ballot and the proposition is clear enough so everybody understands what they're voting for. And to the extent that that hasn't happened, they have failed. Why don't they want safe streets and communities and neighborhoods? So I think, you know, the the interesting thing is I think everybody in some ways wants safe streets and safe neighborhoods. They just have a different way to get there and their way, their, their sort of solution to the problem is the problem itself. It's failing. So that their theory is that if we don't prosecute everyone to the full extent of the law who are committing violent and serious offenses, and then we let people out before they've served their full sentence for people who've committed violent and serious offenses, that somehow magically safety and security is going to get better than worse. They rip these theories from academic journals and academic studies. They try to put them in, into, into reality and, and sort of uh, effectuate them into policies. And lo and behold, these statistics don't lie. And safety and security has gone in the exact opposite direction. And it's not working. Can they come and essentially say things aren't working? Let's go back to the drawing board? Or is this something we have to wait and, and wait for governors and attorney generals and district attorneys to, to get out of office and, and vote them out? They could change their mind tomorrow. I, I would encourage them to change their mind tomorrow and see the reality of the failure of the policies that they've implemented. But you get no sense at the DA in Los Angeles, the DA in San Francisco, or the California attorney general is going to recognize the failure of their policies and adopt other ones. If they would, quite candidly, there would be less of a need for people like me to run for office because they would actually be adopting the policies that I'm advocating. But since they fail to do that, that's what elections are all about. And we need, I, mean, I call these three people, the LADA, the San Francisco DA, and the California Attorney General, the let them go guys. And if basically they don't want to do their jobs. We need to let them go and bring in someone like me for the Attorney General's job who will. How much power does an attorney general have? Does he have the upper hand over the California governor? Well, one would argue that the California governor is certainly the most powerful person in the state. 
but right below the governor would be the California Attorney General. California Attorney General has over 4,000 lawyers in uh, his office, uh, which would make it the second largest law firm in the United States and covers almost every aspect of a Californian's life. Because anybody who sues the state of California or gets sued by California, that's the California Attorney General. The California Attorney General is the chief law enforcement officer of the entire state. So in some ways, you could view that as a super DA for all 58 counties. California Attorney General is in charge of all appellate litigation. So anytime something is appealed by California all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, that's the California Attorney General's office. So it's an enormously powerful office. And part of the reason that I'm running and I'm running as a Republican is to be a a sort of independent voice in Sacramento because Sacramento hasn't seen a Republican in statewide office since Arnold Schwarzenegger won in 2006. Uh, And they've been controlled by a super majority of Democrats for almost 10 years now. So there's no competing voice. There's no independent voice to challenge or call them out when they're either effectuating a, a dumb policy, a counterproductive policy, a dangerous policy, or even an illegal policy. So when Gavin Newsom comes out and talks about all of those packages uh, that were taken off trains recently, and he comes out and has the balls to say that this is like a third world country. Our state is like a third world country. Now, wouldn't you think that he's got the power to do something about it? And for him to stand there and say something like that, and he does nothing about it. So so you mentioned that he is the most powerful person essentially in this state, and then the attorney general is, is after him. Why, why doesn't he do anything about it then if he's complaining about it? So what he would say is that by giving $255 million in his budget to law enforcement, some of which would be dedicated to dealing with this issue, that's his attempt to do something about it. You know, what was interesting about his is sort of going down to the tracks and putting trash in bins himself uh, and complaining about it and acknowledging, you know, that that L.A. was looking like a third world country, which is incredibly embarrassing for a governor to admit that the state he's in charge of, one of its major cities, looks like a third world country, is who was missing at that moment in time. The person who was missing next to the governor was the attorney general. Uh, of California, his his appointed attorney general, who should be down there, you know, going ahead and taking the governor governor's taking the, the money, forming task forces, working with law enforcement, and bringing the situation under control. But once again, the the attorney general was AWOL, missing in action, and that's been very indicative of how he has run the California Department of Justice. That's Rob Bonta, right? That's correct. Now, is he under any recalls? No. Rob Bonta, to my knowledge, isn't under any recalls, but Rob Bonta, uh, as an incumbent, has three major strikes against him. First, nobody knows who he is. He was a California state assemblyman from Oakland before he was tapped by Governor Newsom to become the California attorney general. And so generally, an incumbent comes in with a large amount of name recognition Rob Bonta lacks that entirely. What he lacks even more than name recognition is any prior law enforcement experience or background. He wasn't an officer, police officer. 
He wasn't a DA. He wasn't a prosecutor. He was none of the above. And so he's now the chief law enforcement officer, the chief cop, so to speak, for the California Attorney General's office, which makes him one of the more underqualified people to ever hold that position. And the third point, and and almost the most important point, is that he believes that George Gascon in L.A. and Chesa Boudin in San Francisco are doing a great job, that their far-left criminal justice agenda is the right way to go, and, uh, and I couldn't disagree more. So the streets are bad, third world country, coming straight from the mouth of our governor. It was unbelievable when he said that. Like, he doesn't have the power to do something about it. So let's say, essentially, you win this thing. How would you fix it, and how long would it take you to fix it? So the fix, you could start immediately, clearly. And what you would want to do is there are laws on the books where people who steal stuff, particularly, you know, the Union Pacific identifies it's it's lost over $5 million worth of packages over the last year. There's plenty of laws on the books that would allow law enforcement uh, basically to arrest or to work with uh, the Union Pacific special agents. They have their own police force to deal with the people who are stealing from the back of these cargo trains. But then you need to, when they get brought in for prosecution, the DA has to be willing to make sure that people understand their consequences for their actions. So if the DA isn't either going to prosecute the case, uh, or is going to basically let the case, you know, go off for some no jail misdemeanor and they're back on the streets stealing again in 24 hours. Then the California attorney general's office can come in and run those prosecutions in order to send the word to people that, yeah, there are consequences for your crimes. And if you want to go ahead and do this, you know, know that, 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 uh, there will be consequences. And the interesting thing about Criminals understanding that there's consistently enforced consequences for their crimes is that it actually carries out deterrence and they think twice about committing the crime in the first place. Sitting Governor Gavin Newsom, sitting L.A. District Attorney George Gascon, sitting Attorney General Rob Bonta, they're, they're all similar. They're all the same person. They, they all think alike. And, and we see how the state is being ran currently. It's ugly. It's really ugly. How do they continue to get votes and continue to get elected and reelected? You know, it's interesting. They, uh, one of the things that I am fighting against is people doing an automatic party selection so that you have, for instance, 46% of Californians are registered Democrat. And what I'm fighting against, and I'm hoping to succeed in this fight, is that people will be go beyond the party and look at the actual person running see what that person has to say, see what their qualifications are, see what they would do if if placed in power, and vote the person rather than the party. Again, what's happened before, I believe, is that the Democrats, and and you've listed a whole bunch of Democrats, have very successfully convinced people to vote the party and not pay as much attention to the person or what exactly that they're saying. And I'm convinced that Californians, a majority of Californians, would answer this question in the negative. And the question is, do you feel more safe and secure today than you have in the last two, four, six, or eight years? I'm convinced that the majority of Californians answer that question no, which means they are looking for someone to make a change and not just have four more years of Rob Bonta running the attorney general's office. 
And I'm hoping that they look at my qualifications, what I have to say, how I want to bring back common sense solutions based on treating police as your partner, for instance, rather than the enemy, as, as solutions that would make sense for them to bring back safety and security. I hope they look in your policies, too, because um, sometimes, well, actually all the time, common sense is the best sense. And uh, you've got a ton of it and it all makes sense. But we all know this state is grossly populated by Democrats. And when they go and vote and on the ballot, it's got that little symbol and that symbol and letter is an R. They just won't vote for it. It doesn't matter who it is or who you are. So how do you convince these people that you are the right guy? How do you convince them to vote for you? So let me give you a couple of examples. And let me start at home with my first example, which is my wife. My wife is a registered Democrat. My wife is the one who wants me to run. She knows who I am. She knows what I stand for. She knows what I would do for the state of California. And she believes, like her Democratic friends, that I've also been able to reach out uh, and get the message to that I actually can do what I say I'm going to do. Now, as this message has expanded, we've raised close to $1.5 million today. 40% of that money has come from independents and Democrats. Because when I can get this message out to people, and that's a function of time and money, obviously, but if I can get this message out to people, it is resonating, not just with Republicans, but with, Cal with, with Democrats and independents, because at the end of the day, we're all Californians. And Californians are seeing the same threats to their safety and security that Republicans are seeing, or that I'm seeing, or that my wife is seeing, or that our neighbors and community members up and down the state are seeing. So I'm convinced that this issue of safety and security is a crossover issue. It's not just a Republican issue. And it'll make people go beyond just looking at the R or the D to see if, you know, who actually is doing what and are they qualified to do so. Would you or have you considered running as an independent instead? So it, what's interesting in California is there is no independent party. Uh, there's actually a, a party with the name independent and it. it's the American Independent Party, which is a far right party. In California, if you run without register, you register, but you don't register as a for a particular party. It says on the ballot party preference. No. No, And the party of no isn't a party. You don't really know what people who are in that designation actually stand for. Are they far left? Are they far right? Are they middle? Is it some kind of combination? It doesn't have a base. It doesn't have a central committee. It has no infrastructure. Fortunately or unfortunately, there is no independent party, as there are in some states, that you can run for and have a backing in California. Only in California they deter the Republican from being elected or trying to run, right? Because <laughs> you know more than I. They see that that stupid R on a ballot, and and everybody freaks out and like, oh, no, we can't we can't vote for this guy. Well, the, the the R the R has stood for many things, you know. And for me, the R stands for common sense approach, partnering with the police, not treating them as their enemy to our safety and security issues so that people understand there's consequences for their actions. And let me make this clear, and I've made this clear every time I speak about this. I'm not looking for blanket policies to go back and put everybody in jail for as long as possible and then throw away the key. 
blanket policies are not the smart move to do, whether you do it on the, you know, on sort of the mass incarceration side, or will you do it what, what, what's being done today on the mass let them go side? You know, the hard work is when you look at individual cases on an individualized basis. For whatever reason, the DAs in San Francisco and Los Angeles and the California Attorney General, they don't want to do this hard work and look at cases on an individualized basis and make the correct decision for public safety on whether or not a person, particular person constitutes a public safety threat or not. So there might be plenty of people who steal less than $950, but they can serve their debt to society in some way other than to go to state prison at $86,000 a year that will have to pay for it. Maybe they could do home detention. Maybe they could do community service. Maybe they can get put in some type of diversion program if they have a drug problem. Uh, and a mandatory drug diversion program at that. So at the end of the day, if but if people perceive there's no consequences for their actions, then yes, we get back to a society that we're living in now, which is only going to get worse. Let's say you win, Nathan. Uh, you will most likely work with a Democrat governor in Gavin Newsom, and your policies are different. And when you bring him ideas more than likely he probably won't agree with them. So how would the two of you get along or how would the two of you actually get things done? Well, again, I would look forward to anyone, to working with anyone who wants to improve the safety and security for Californians. And to the extent that Governor Newsom, if he is the governor uh, that I'm working with, wants to do that, we will find areas where we can work together. Where he wants to go ahead and do things that I believe are wrong, or cross legal lines, I will push back extremely strongly. But to the extent that he wants to, you know, join me as a partner in the effort to make the streets, homes, neighborhoods of California more safe and secure, then yes, I will join with him as a partner in that effort. And if the state legislature wants to do the same and they want to fix some of the laws that have led to these conditions, and I will certainly support them in changing the laws to create consequences for crimes. If they don't want to do that, I will use all the powers of that office to make these points crystal clear that this is the direction California should go in. And if they want to fight it, again, if the voters hear from the chief law enforcement officer that things aren't going well, then very, you know, I'm, I'm convinced that these uh, legislatures will have some issues at the uh, the ballot box in the next election. You know, when I used to go out of town and people would ask where I'm from, I'd proudly say California. Nowadays, you say California, it looks like they're going to, you know, throw up or they've got this sour taste in their mouth. Uh, taxes are extremely high. Cost of living is high. Real estate is high. Uh, it's a tough place to live. And I don't know how a lot of people do it. As as an attorney general, would you help the cause at all for that for the hardworking Californian? A hundred percent. You know, and, and that's part of what I'm mostly focused on, you know, is to create opportunities for, for Californians, opportunities for businesses to employ more Californians, create conditions on the ground where people feel safe and secure and are happy to have, you know, have their kids or their parents or their neighbors go out on the streets, leave their cars parked in the middle of a city, uh, and not fear that they, themselves, their cars, their property, or their homes are going to be broken into. 
I, I couldn't agree with you more about the part that you started off with being proud of California. I mean, uh, I have a son who's living in New York right now uh, and, and running a business, and uh, he shared with me pictures of a blizzard last night, and I shared with him pictures of my walking down the street with my Labradoodle uh, in 70-degree weather. And we live in, in one of the most fantastic places on Earth. And the fact that our leaders have let this place you know, go to hell in a handbasket is just a, a downright shame. But I'm also convinced that if we can replace these leaders with people like myself who have experience, who have independence, who have ideas that make common sense, I think we can bring back California to the Golden State. You know, it it was and will be. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's sad, pathetic that uh, people as politicians are representing us and we're taking it the other way when it when it should be how it used to be. And here's my thing, too. If you're going to tax me up my ass and claim you're going to double my taxes in the next few years, I want perfectly paved streets. I want great schools. I want homelessness taken care of. I, I don't want you in my business and up my ass every time I turn. I'm, I'm paying enough to my long life partner, the government. Leave me the hell alone. And just take care of my state. And it's the absolute opposite of that. Because instead of staying at a Four Seasons, you're staying at a Motel 6. And you're paying Four season pricing. Yeah, it's funny you should use that exact analogy. Because that is the exact analogy that I use. You know, only I call it, you know, you're paying five-star prices, not four-star prices. Uh, and you're, you're getting, you know, run-down, mo- not a Motel 6, but a run-down motel, you know, at the edge of your community. Uh, and, and I couldn't agree with you more. People in general, and I've worked in the tax field as well, if people think that they're paying their fair share of taxes and they're getting value for their money, I found Americans across the board being willing to pay their fair share of taxes. It's where you, where you believe you're paying way in excess of what your fair share is and the services you're, you're getting are, are you know, completely substandard. That's where people push back, and they have the right to do so. Uh, police officers, you, you've got their back, right? When that whole defunding the police thing came out, what, what were your what was your thoughts on that? <laughs> when I started started singing that movement, I thought to myself, these are people who have absolutely no idea what's going on with the police. And by that, I mean I've talked to police chiefs and sheriffs up and down the state, and they all tell me, look. If you, you know, we all would love to hire better, train better, and supervise better, but that is a function of money, actually getting more money into our departments rather than cutting our budgets. Because right now, you know, if, I mean, just to attract people to be a police officer where, where police officers have been so vilified in this state, I mean, that's already hard enough to do. And then you, you, you add in the component of the danger that they face on the job. And then you add in the component of the, the very low salaries that they start out at. So most of these people can't even live in the communities that they're policing. Again, you create a situation where you want the best and finest people to work as police officers in your community, but you've created no conditions for that to happen. And then once they get there, you want them trained very well. Well, the average police academy trains its officers somewhere between four and eight months. That's it, four to eight months. To give you a contrast, a, a country like Germany, 
doesn't allow a police officer to on to be on the street before they get two years of training. So again, we want these police officers to act perfectly in all situations, no matter what they are. Uh, yet we don't give them the training. And then as far as supervision goes, again, you need people dedicated to supervision. But most of these law enforcement their departments are stretched incredibly thin. So you have supervisors supervising probably way more people than they otherwise would if they had enough resources to hire enough supervisors. So defund the police was a completely counterproductive movement. I think even Minneapolis realized that when crime soared after they cut the police department, then a lot of officers left the police department, then crime soars over 50%. And now they desperately had to try and hire back people at far higher salaries uh, and couldn't even attract the people they needed because they had so vilified their police department. So I think what, what's happening is that a lot of these ideas that were in vogue and fashion in the summer of 2020 uh, are now meeting reality and finding out that they were completely wrong. Yeah, defund the police while the politician has a 24-7 armed guard, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... Um, it's just it's it's a policy that uh, you know, and, and I want to make this clear too. Is that I'm not saying because again, I've talked to enough police chiefs and sheriffs that you know every officer and every police force operates perfectly. Clearly, many and or clearly some don't. And if any cross the line, when I was working as a prosecutor, uh, one of the major cases I had was going after uh, dirty cops who were stealing drugs and money and beating up uh, drug dealers, ironically. And this was being done in a systematic way uh, in a sheriff's department. And I and my fellow prosecutors went after them and convicted over 18 of them, uh, and they all went to jail. And so I'm a, a firm believer that if a police officer crosses the line, then that police officer should understand that there are severe consequences for his or her action. But I'm also a believer that, that the overwhelming number of police officers and deputy sheriffs out there every day are doing their job and doing it to their best of their ability and doing an excellent job Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, no doubt. What's your feelings on CCWs? Well, again, uh, with respect to CCWs, you know, the, you know I, I respect local laws and local regulations. You know, and different communities have different regulations on how you can get a CCW. And as long as they're following their regulations, and those are regulations that are usually backed up by local city councils that pass them, I'm a big supporter of working with the locals as often as you can. Because as I found out that the higher up in the bureaucracy you get, usually the worst decision gets made. Best decisions are made generally at the local level. Not all the time, but generally at the local level. A couple more, we'll let you go. Um, what's the solution on the homeless front? Homelessness is very complicated, as I'm sure you're aware. Over 70% of the people who are homeless suffer from serious mental Ill, Ill illnesses, um, substance abuse, or both. So the solution depends in large part on which homeless population you're dealing with. So if you're dealing with the part of the homeless population that just lost their job, are otherwise capable of working and literally just need to get a job in order to pay their bills to get off the street and get their family off the street, that solution is to hopefully find them a job and create more and more jobs in our society 
so that they then have the wherewithal to, to, to pay for the housing. For the other, for the, the overwhelming number of, of homeless, again, part of the solution I've seen is twofold. One is that uh, there's a team that I've watched in Los Angeles County called the Homeless Outreach Services Team. It's a partnership of the police uh, and the sheriffs in that case with uh, social service organizations, Department of Mental Health, Vocational Services, uh, Substance Abuse, Homeless Authority. They go out as a team to these homeless encampments and they do a, they execute a five-point plan. They identify who's there, they assess their needs, they create outreach programs for each person, you know, whether, again, what depending on what problem that they're suffering from. They then basically have, have gotten most of the people to, to take advantage of those outreach programs. But to the extent that that, that doesn't move them, they post a 14 day sign and then they bring the trucks in to move people. And they've told me that they've moved thousands of people over the last seven years and only have had to arrest two because they treat them humanely and they give them solutions to their individual situations. We need to scale that up to the entire state. Yeah, no doubt. Fentanyl, man, I don't remember it being like it like it is today, right? It seems like there's a lot more deaths today than there ever has been in the past. You know, it's funny. Fentanyl is one of my big campaign issues, and that's because I met a two parents early on in my campaign who had just tragically lost their 16-year-old son when he went ahead and ordered uh, what he thought was an oxycodone tablet through some drug dealers off of Snapchat. He paid for the tablet. He took it, uh, unbeknownst to his parents, and even unbeknownst to, to the fact that he was taking what turned out to be a counterfeit pill that was laced with a lethal dose of fentanyl, and he was dead by the morning when his parents came to wake him up for school. And what I learned is that fentanyl is a super opiate. This isn't your oxycodone. This isn't your Xanax, your Percocet. This isn't even heroin. In fact, it's 50 times stronger than heroin, 100 times stronger than morphine. It's man-made, and two milligrams of this will kill you in two minutes. This is like poison. It's like describing cyanide. And the people who, who, you know, who view it as a, a drug, sure, it's designed to be incredibly addictive, more addictive than any, basically any other type of drug. Uh, and the Mexican drug lords who are bringing it in by the million fold, I mean, millions of counterfeit tablets are coming in to the United States. And the DEA estimates that four out of every 10 of them are laced with a lethal dose of fentanyl. We had 100,000 overdose deaths last year, you know, the majority of them from fentanyl. Uh, San Francisco reported that more people were killed by fentanyl poisoning than COVID last year. This is an enormously destructive, lethal issue. We, they estimate will kill 17 Californians if the numbers this year are like last year. 17 Californians every day will die from fentanyl poisoning. And I ask you, do you hear the attorney general's office doing anything about this? Do you hear them pushing the California legislature to pass laws going after fentanyl dealers or making the fentanyl crimes even that much more serious? If there was a sniper that was going ahead and going up and down our communities, killing 17 Californians, somewhat randomly with a high-powered rifle every single day, 
you think that we would take this as lightly as we have done fentanyl? I say absolutely not. And it's a tragedy. You know, I mean, there are there are deaths that are preventable every day if we would spend the time, energy and resources to prioritize this issue. How do you stop it from coming in? This is a combination of working with the federal government and local uh, law enforcement and state law enforcement. The people throw their arms up in the air and say, well, we we can't, you know, the, the drug war uh, can't be won. You know, we shouldn't be fighting it, et cetera, et cetera. This isn't drugs, folks. This is poison. This is like having, you know, lysin or having cyanide pouring over the border. And basically, in many ways, you know, it's not, this isn't being advertised. I mean, a lot of people who are dying from this have no idea they're taking fentanyl. So this isn't a situation where you think, oh, I'm going to try fentanyl itself, and you just happen to take a lethal dose of it. This is a situation where you thought you were taking an oxycodone tablet or Percocet or Adderall, and you're dead in two minutes. This is a, a national crisis. It's a certainly a California crisis. And while you certainly, while you could probably never prevent every single fentanyl pill from coming into the United States, you can make the consequences uh, of doing this such that if someone dies as a result of this, that you're charged with murder. And right now, the California legislature w- refuses to pass that bill. Our, our Border Patrol is the best of the best. Now, how, how do these guys hide drugs from coming in all the time? Well, again, it, it's, it's a different situation when you have, in essence, fake oxycodone tablets coming across the border. I don't know, quite candidly, if, if the dogs are trained to smell out fentanyl in an oxycodone tablet. But it's, uh, you know, the, the fact that they, they, this could now be reduced to pill form and it makes it that much more easy to carry across a border. So it is a very tough task to, although they are, inter, you know, they're interdicting literally hundreds of kilograms of this stuff every year. In fact, they actually, you know, seized enough fentanyl in the last year to kill every man, woman, and child in the United States five times over. Wow, man, that's crazy. That's a lot. Because remember, you only need two milligrams. Two milligrams of this stuff will kill you in two minutes. Man. That's two grains of rice. That's unreal. How powerful that drug is. That is unbelievable. Uh, In November, how many uh, attorney generals do you think you'll be running against? So I think there'll be, well, in November, it'll just be a binary election. It'll just hopefully be myself uh, and one other person. Primary right now, there's, uh, you know, approximately four people that are running for two spots in the June primary. This is June of this year? June of this year is a primary. November is a general election. Got it. Um, Okay, let's have some fun. I've got some fun questions for you to end it. Uh, The first one is, uh, you worked under George W. Bush as an assistant attorney general of the tax division of the United States DOJ. What exactly did that entail? That was a great job. In fact, my wife described it as a a guy in his 40s getting to go to fantasy job camp because (laughs) that was a job where every day you get to wake up and think, what can I do? And this happened to be with tax enforcement to better tax enforcement, make it more fair, consistent, transparent, effective uh, in the United States of America. And I had 350 lawyers doing 
criminal, civil, and appellate tax litigation in every court in the land. He had a hundred million dollar budget, and we used to, you know, we used to boast that for that hundred million dollar budget, we brought back one point three billion dollars that year to the, you know, U.S. Treasury. So for every dollar spent on us, we brought back thirteen dollars. So that was just a, a fantastic opportunity to be sort of at the, the, you know, the center point of the Department of Justice as it was, you know, doing its its uh, job for the United States. So what kind of law did you study, Nathan? So I went to Stanford Law School, and uh, you know, I studied different things that were going to get me into litigation. You know, whether it's your your classics, your contracts, your torts, your criminal law. You know, I, I didn't initially see the opportunity to go right in as a prosecutor. Most U.S. attorney's offices, which I got right after a judicial clerkship, uh, make you wait a few years before they'll hire you. But I got the opportunity, luckily, to go right in after a clerkship. Best decision I made. I mean, talk about inspiration. Every day you get up in front of a court, a judge or a jury, and you get to say Nathan Hockman on behalf of the United States of America. That is a, a, a really important responsibility and makes you do your best because you don't want to let down the United States of America yeah. and all the folks in it. Yeah. All right. Some fast questions here. How many years have you been in Angelino? So I was born in Los Angeles. I was born at, at UCLA Hospital. And other than times I've been away um, uh, for education uh, or the time in D.C. for the, the job at the Department of Justice, uh, I'm 58. So most of the 58 years. Nice. How many years have you been married? Uh, April 3rd will be my 29th anniversary to, to clearly my better half. She's been the most fantastic partner one could have. She sounds amazing. I mean, for anybody to tell you to do this right now in politics, (laughs) she, she knows what you got. How many kids do you have? I have uh, three kids now that are all in their twenties and two graduated college and one's a freshman. How many pets? Do you have any pets? I've got a beautiful chocolate Labradoodle who's sleeping at my feet and uh, a black Shih Tzu who's sleeping on the chocolate Labradoodle. How about favorite sports team? Favorite sports team? Well, growing up in Los Angeles, it, it would probably have to be all the L.A. teams. You know, your your Lakers, your Dodgers, the Rams, and, and a couple variations of the Rams. You know, when they were with L.A., you know, they were with St. Louis, now they're back in L.A., uh, and the Kings. Favorite band? Favorite band, um, you know, I was a uh, something. Probably, I would go with the Eagles. I mean, old old school stuff. Mm-hmm. Eagles, and, and my first concert was Earth, Wind, and Fire. Nice. And you never forget your first concert. Favorite L.A. restaurant. Favorite L.A. restaurant. Well, you know, you you can go with the high end restaurants, but I'm going to have to go. Uh, you know, on the low end here and low end in the sense of only price, but not quality, which would be a great Tommy's burger. Okay. I was going to say in and out or five guys. Yeah. In and out is, is, is sort of, you know, the next generation after uh, Tommy's, but you know, if you've been around LA as long as I have, you know, the Tommy's triple chili cheese is a, <laughs> is a pretty good burger. You keep yourself in good shape, man. I'm surprised you, you put that down. Uh, you know, that, you got to have vices in this world, and uh, a triple chili cheese is about as good a vice as one can have. Beach or the mountains? Uh, beach. Again, growing up in L.A., um, as much as I like to ski and hike in the mountains, you know, there's very few things that are, that are more 
uh, incredible than the walk on the beach or going in the ocean. The five or the four hundred five? The five one day might get some decent carpool lanes. Uh, the five will take you all up and down California, so I respect the five. But yeah, I grew up on the four hundred five. Does a straw have one hole or two holes? I mean, I've seen straws with only one hole, uh, and then you—they're usually the defective straws, and you got to cut the hole on the other end. So I'm going straws have, have two holes, one on either end. Okay, I like it. And why should people vote for you? You know, again, I, I'm convinced that safety and security is one of the primary issues why people should vote for me. That people will answer that question. Do you feel more safe and secure today than in the last two, four, six, or eight years in the negative? And that, you know, voting for the current attorney general is just getting four more years of the same trend lines going in the wrong direction. So what I promise is to bring 30 years, 30 plus years of criminal justice experience, an independent voice, common sense solutions, and a willingness to partner with the police, social service organizations, and quite honestly, anybody who wants to bring back safety and security to California to effectuate those policies in real time. So that would be the the reason I think that people should vote for me in this election. Where can people donate to your campaign, Nathan? So they go to www.myname, Nathan Hockman, N-A-T-H-A-N-H-O-C-H-M-A-N.com. Uh, they can get information about the campaign and, uh, and donate there. Okay. We'll put all that information in the show notes, too. So it's a simple link. They'll click it and hopefully donate to you. You know, I talk to my friends all the time about... Uh, everybody fleeing the state and a lot of them, eh, not a lot of my friends, personal friends, but I know a lot of people have left and they're going to more friendly states uh, where the where the government isn't, you know, in your nose every day. But, you know, I can't leave. I'm born and raised here, too. I've got too many ties. here. I've got a business here. I've got family here. And it's a state that I just am in love with. And I'd rather be here and fight rather than give up and leave. And I think I'm fighting but I'm not fighting as close as you are. So I appreciate you doing this, putting your nose out there and trying to make a difference, a true difference. Well, Mike, thank you very much. And thank you very much for the opportunity to be on this podcast uh, and hopefully reach you know all your listeners because um, these are important issues. The only way I win, quite candidly, is I, if I build an army of great supporters who view the situation like you do, that this is a state worth fighting for, it starts with voting and bringing in elected leaders uh, to hopefully you know, change the direction of where we're going. Uh, and it's absolutely worth the fight. I remember when I started the podcast and turned sports podcasts into everyday life podcasts and interesting stories and journeys and all that fun stuff. That's all great. I love that stuff so much and I've learned so much from it. I learned a lot from this stuff, too. And I remember early on, I told myself that I want to stay away from politics. I don't want you knowing who I support, how I do it. But politics has become so big and it's become in everybody's face. And if I'm able to get people like Nathan Hockman on a show and talk about how he can clean up a state who, when the governor comes out and blankly says... 
that his state is being ran like a third world country? I want to know about what he meant by that. Because <laughs> he's got the power, as Nathan said, the most powerful person in the state of California is the governor. And that's being ran by Gavin Newsom, who had the balls to come out and say that his state is like a third world country and appoints a district attorney of California like Rob Bonta. And then his counterpart in Los Angeles, George Gascon, I want to find out about that. And I think you do too, because pretty unsafe, the streets of Los Angeles especially. You can't walk a dog anymore at night by yourself unless you're carrying something. I mean, that's not how it should be. So, man, Nathan Hawkman's awesome. He, he makes too much sense, and I just hope that he's able to get the other side again he's running as a republican you can't run as an independent like he mentioned uh he's got some support from that side which is important man it's vital obviously but you just hope enough people wake up and start to to move things again and start to 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 change and you know change isn't change unless there's improvement because we've seen the change and there's zero improvement we're going the other way and i can't i i just i don't know man i i um you live your life, you vote the way you vote, but I can't comprehend those who vote for these kind of people when our streets are like this and you're getting taxed up the ass. And if your girlfriend or wife walks a dog by themselves in LA, more than likely they, they probably aren't coming back with the dog. <laughs> <laughs> that's just how it is currently, and that's scary, man. That is not cool. So, um, yeah, hopefully that gave you enough information on Nathan Hockman to uh, make up your mind as to who to vote for in November of 2022. Next week's show is about sports cards and memorabilia and how that sports card uh, industry has just popped, uh, including uh, Pokemon and, and baseball and basketball and football cards just absolutely going crazy you can open up a pack a box now for like 450 bucks and you get 50 cards and you can get absolutely nothing or you can get a card that's worth ten thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or a tom brady signed card for two and a half million dollars and we're going to talk um to mike giuseffi about that he's in nashville originally from chicago i think i offended him because i i started the show off saying that i i enjoy his name mike giuseffi i mean that's like a like a gangster italian name back in the day and i offended him i believe i offended him i was going to take it out but i'm gonna leave it in because it's gonna be fun and it's gonna be funny but that's next week's show thank you again to nathan hockman we're putting show links we're putting links in the show notes for nathan hockman how you can support him and I am Mike Gabriel. You can follow me on Miked Up Pod on IG, Instagram. That's where most of the content comes from. Thank you so much for making me a part of your day. It means everything. I am Mike Gabriel. This is Miked Up Pod. Till next time, folks. No wasted days. Let's go. Let's go.